Good evening, everyone. We want to pick up this evening. I want to get right into it. Uh, we won't have time for the question and answers this evening. I want to see if I could finish this section of Jude. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the, to the epistle of Jude. I want to remind you again of Jude's emphasis in the epistle. It actually has one basic overriding truth. And that is that moral corruption naturally and automatically follows corruption of spiritual truth. That's specifically the word of God, the faith once for all delivered to the saints. In connection with that corruption of the truth, judgment automatically follows. That's, Paul, that's Jude's emphasis in this passage. Now in the, a message this morning, we looked at Jude's description in verses 8 through 10. Uh, he describes these individuals and these godly, these godless men rather. He gives us some clear description of their characteristics as well as their activities. But now in verse 11, he says, and I quote from the words, please follow in your Bibles. Woe to them, they have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Now, each of these descriptions are important for us to understand, to see how relevant the Word of God is to us today. The way of Cain refers to the rejection of God's way for our own way instead. In other words, we replace God's way of salvation with our own way of human works. Cain, you remember, because of an evil heart, according to the book of Hebrews, rejected God's blood sacrifice and brought the work of his own hands from the ground. Abel, on the other hand, followed God's revealed way of approaching him by offering a blood sacrifice. God accepted Abel's offering, but rejected Cain's. As a result, Cain became angry toward God. And this is something that always marks the works of human beings in trying to please God. They're trying to appease an angry God. That's always a mark of those who choose their own way. And of course, you know, the result was that he murdered Abel, who represented God's way of worship. This was the first murder. Not only was it between siblings, but it also had to do with one's hatred towards the proper way of approaching God. Don't forget that. That's what brought it all about. And that still exists today amongst different religions and different people and so on. Some important principles here. The writer of Hebrews reveals that the difference between Cain and Abel was their faith. This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks, even though he is dead. Speaking about the true and proper approach to God how to worship him. 
And that's so important because so many people approach God in the wrong way today. And the sacrifices, their offerings are not accepted because they're coming their way. Cain therefore became what we would call an apostate because he turned away from God's revealed truth to do things his way. And because of this, God rejected his offering. I say that the same is true of apostates and those who reject the word of God today. They turn away from what they know to be God's will and truth to do things their way. But God will not accept things done man's way. Instead, he will judge them for their apostasy because that's what it is when we turn away from God's revealed way of how to approach him. That's why we are so careful here in how we go about things. In our worship time, we really try to do things in keeping with the word of God to cause you to realize just because we come to God and sing and pray and offer money that God's going to accept it. No, 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 no. There's a lot of prerequisites, a proper heart, a cleansed heart, and all of the doing things God's way. That's the important thing. That's Cain's way, the way of Cain. But then it goes on. Now remember, Jude is associating these descriptions, these characteristics to people who turn away from the truth, who do not contend for the faith that is once for all delivered to the saints. And by their behavior, they reject that truth. That's what he's saying. It's not only what they preach, but how they behave, how they live. Now, Balaam's error refers to selling out one's spiritual gifts or abilities to the highest bidder for personal profit. Or to put it in the New Testament terminology, going after filthy lucre. That's Balaam's error, using the ministry for personal profit. Now, the story of Balaam is told in Numbers chapters 22, 23, 24, and 25. Remember, this is where we have the talking donkey. You should remember that because the donkey is there, right? Balaam was a false prophet. He, he actually was in it for the money, but he was also a prophet of Israel. At least Israel hired him. The story of Balaam is quite interesting when you get to know him uh, and, and all what he was doing. He was a prophet for hire. And Israel in their desperation because they had turned away from God and God wouldn't go to the prophets and so on, they wanted to hire their own prophets. We have that today. Preachers who are preaching the word of God, people don't want to hear it, so they go to hear those who they want to hear. And they support those individuals. That's hiring your own prophet. You turn away from the truth and you go after those who scratch your tickling ear, your itching ear. That's Balaam's way. Now you remember this story. Balak, the king of Moab, was trying to get at Israel, did not want them to enter Canaan, offered Balaam a large sum of money to curse Israel. But the prophet really wanted to profit from his deal and from his position as a prophet. I mean, it's so uncanny the way this is going on today. Prophets who are seeking to profit from their prophecies. It's amazing 
how current and relevant this is. But anyway, Balaam tried to curse Israel. He tried to go through with the job Balak had hired him to do to curse Israel. But each time he tried, God stopped him and turned the attempted curse into a blessing instead. That's the way God does things, doesn't he? You remember, he even went to the point of using Balaam's donkey to talk some sense into his head. A donkey trying to teach a human being some sense. Isn't that amazing? But that's what he's doing here. Because actually, Balaam acted more like a donkey than the donkey did. Now, we could use another name for the donkey, but I'll let you put that in. Balaam became so greedy for the money that he devised the plan whereby, whereby the Moabite women seduced the men of Israel so that they eventually worshipped the Moabite pagan gods. Notice that. Because all through these illustrations, you have immorality. You have sexual immorality being used to draw people away from God. That's exactly what this false prophet did. He, said, he, he encouraged the Moabite women to seduce the men of Israel so that they would worship the pagan gods. This, of course, brought God's judgment upon the Israelites. But in the process, Balaam himself was killed by the Israelites. He was killed. Now, here is how God does it, how he brings his judgment upon an individual by using the very things that they were trying to use, they upset him. By the very ones he was paid to curse. Exactly what Jude says happens to, apo to apostates. They are destroyed by the very things they reject or despise. It happened to Balaam. Happened to Cain. Jude says apostates, the godless men who creep in unaware into the church can be known by their greed for money and their easy falling into sexual immorality. And notice what the text says. They rush for profit into Balaam's arrow. Notice that. This isn't something just happening. They rush into it. That's happening today. So many people are in the ministry for the money. The way things are done today, the commercialization we have with the Word of God, and tapes and books and videos and all kinds of things are being used, sold, just to make money. They rush into profit for into Balaam's arrow for profit. In other words, they're making money from the ministry. That seems to be the major all-consuming passion. And they will lie, they will deceive, and exploit God's people to get what they want. And they do it all in the name of God. That's the thing that really hurts. This is why Peter, when he speaks to the pastor elder, says in 1 Peter 5, 2, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, 
not greedy for money, but eager to serve. See, these people that Judah's talking about just the opposite. They rush into it for money. Apostate false teachers can be recognized then by a willful, arrogant rejection of these instructions by Jude. But they will say such things as, God wants his servants to have the best. Now that's true, by the way. But that doesn't mean necessarily in a material way or at the expense of truth or at the expense of the exploitation of the people of God. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things, everything I need you, you need and I want you to have will be yours. Paul speaks of the same thing, or rather Peter, again in 2 Peter chapter 2. Listen as I quote these verses again from the word of God, beginning at verse 1. But there were false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies. Notice that now, secretly. You see, they won't come right out and say, this is what I'm teaching. They teach it under another guise, another name. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. Now, I want you to get this. Many will follow their ways, not a few, but many. The few who go after the truth is on an hour away. But the many on the wide broad, and you see them all over. So don't follow the crowd. Be careful who you follow. Many will follow the shameful ways and will bring the way of truth. Notice, the way of truth. Do you know what Christians were called in the early beginning? They weren't called Christians. In fact, they weren't even called disciples as much. Do you know what the people in the church were called in the beginning? The way. They were called the way. The way. They will bring the way of truth into this repute. Today in the Bahamas, if it's one institution that is in dispute by many, it's the church. Nobody won't listen to the preacher. They laugh. They make fun. There's no regard. They make fun. No integrity, they say. And in many cases, they have a just reason for doing so. They do. Paul, Peter, Jude, the entire Bible, New Testament predicts it. Notice he says, their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. 9 foot Christ with big hands 18 inches long. You heard that? You didn't hear that? No, you didn't. People sitting down with the Holy Spirit having breakfast. Those are stories that are made up. 
And we could go on and on and telling you about stories that people are talking about today and calling it the Word of God. These are the dreamers. They dream of these things. But Peter says their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. What he's saying is that the corruption of truth automatically leads to the corruptions of morals, which automatically leads to the judgment of God. One follows the other automatically. That's a divine principle. But Jude gives a trait, another trait. He says, they have destroyed, they have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Now, this story of Korah is told in Numbers chapter 16. Korah, along with three others, led about 250 elders of Israel in a revolt against the leadership of Moses, against the leadership of Moses. The man that God himself had chosen and put in place as the leader of Israel. In other words, they rebelled against God's divinely delegated authority. And remember, that was one of the problems with the angels. That was one of the prophets with those in Sodom and Gomorrah and everything. They defied authority. They rebelled against God's divinely delegated leadership. Korah boasted that he was just as good as Moses, and so did not need Moses as a mediator between himself and God. He rebelled against God's appointed authority and mediator. That was Korah's sin. Now, notice what Jude says in verse 4. They changed the grace of our God into a license of immorality and denied Jesus Christ. Denied Jesus Christ. That's our mediator. He's our head. And our only sovereign Lord. He is our authority. And Jude is describing these people. The Christians who do the same thing now that Korah did. And despising the authority that God has set up. And so Jude uses these illustrations, Cain, Balaam, and Korah, as historic examples of men who rejected God's truth and chose their own way instead. And as a result, they all experienced the judgment of God. His point is that the same thing will be true of those who turn away from the truth today, even though they are doing it deceitfully and in the name of God. Friends, listen. The divine principle is clear. When we turn away from the word of God, and not only preachers I'm talking about, you, me, and an everyday experience, when we deliberately turn away from God, we turn away from God himself. You say, oh, no, I didn't. oh yes, it's the word of God. And if God speaks and you turn away from it, who are you turning away? You're just turning away from some writing on in a book. You turn away from the one who is speaking. When you turn away from the truth of God's word, you turn away from God. Clear as that. That's why Jude is so detailed, I believe, in the description of these false teachers. 
He wants us to be certain that as God's people, we are able to identify these godless men and women and deal with them quickly and decisively before they destroy the lives of God's people and the testimony of his church. They want us to know who they are. And so he continues with the scriptures. So we will do also. Look at 12.13 now of Jude. He continues to describe. He wants us to know. And I like these other verses now because it's almost as though Jude is writing this for Bahamians. That's true. The illustrations that he uses. These men are hidden reefs in your love feasts. Now who should know more about reefs than the Bahamian? Hey, Steve? And especially those who like to go fishing and spearfishing, you got to get somebody to stand in the front of the bow to look to make sure you don't hit one of these hidden things. In my days, before we had all these fancy boats here, we used to carry little extra shear pins with us. It would held the, held the propeller on to the, to the rod that turns the whole thing. Because we used to hit these hidden reefs so much, we had to go over and change it and put the propeller back on. The hidden reefs, they're all over. And we're afraid of them, we're scared of them. Can't see them. They're hidden. Jude says, these men are hidden reefs in your love feasts. That's the Lord's Supper. See, that's when everything is supposed to be calm and nice. Take it when you go on a boat. Nice and smooth, boy. So beautiful. In fact, I'm thinking of an incident right now. My brother Henry had bought a nice boat. 40 foot. Nearly nice. Beautiful man. We sailing along. All of a sudden, boom. Water is nice and calm and everything. They hit a reef. The water was calm. The water was smooth. Really nice. We enjoying ourselves. Hit the reef. That's what happens with the false teachers who sneak in to the fellowship of God's people. They are dangerous because they conceal themselves and we don't know when they're going to destroy us. Now we often don't see them, in other words, Judah's saying, until it's too late. Until it's too late. That's why Judy, Jude is clearly spelling out the warning signs. Signs. These religious deceivers appear as angels of light, but in reality, they are messages of Satan, who is the father of darkness and the father of lies. This hidden reef analogy, I say, is an apt illustration for us today. It takes skill and ability to spot and maneuver safely through the reefs without being shipwrecked. The same thing as true of us today. We need the word of God to guide and direct us. That's our compass. That's our guide. The word of God. But because so few of us really know the word of God, we run ourselves on these reefs. Because we're taken in by the fancy words and the big promises of those who have gotten away from the word and proclaiming their own dreams and visions and the stories they make up themselves. That's the way it is even in the church. We need a good shard, and we have one, the Bible. 
We need to know what to look for and how to avoid these false teachers and apostates. That's why we have this epistle of Jude. Jude says they're all around us, even around the Lord's table. Jesus, Jesus, Jude says they eat with us without the slightest problem. They are bold, they're arrogant, they're unafraid. That's why they're undetected. undetected. Bold person. Sure, boy, he must be know what he's saying about, talking about. Notice what he says. They are shepherds who feed themselves. The literal Greek says they are feeders who feed themselves. Because that's the meaning of a shepherd, one who feeds. They are feeders who feed themselves. They are selfish and have no real concern for God's people. They only tell them what they like. God has a great, beautiful, wonderful plan for you today. He loves you so much. He never talk about sin and disobedience and where your unfaithfulness and vocabulary. No, they don't talk about things like that. Only the good things. They only look for the promises, never for the judgments. If we refuse to do what God says. That's the trait of a false shepherd. Do you know anyone or ones like that? But Jude goes on. Notice what it says. They are clouds without rain. Blown along with the wind. See, he's taking the same picture now. We're on the sea. We look at the clouds, don't we? To see if a storm is coming. To see whether that cloud holds rain. Or whether it's just a cloud that will go away. The farmer looks for the cloud hoping it will bring rain, a blessing. Sometimes even out on a boat, we hope we can see a cloud because the sun's so hot and we want some shade for a while. Things to cover us. But this analogy here, they are clouds without rain blown along by the wind. It means they just go where the wind goes. Nothing to anchor them, nothing to hold them. They promise much, but they deliver little or nothing. When it's hot, the farmer is looking for, it's a drought, and the farmer is looking for rain, the cloud is coming. Hey, great, the rain is coming, but it just goes by, nothing. That's what Jude says these false teachers are. He has to do with people who are moving from one fad, religious fad, to another. What's new this year? What's new this week? Something is always different. You got a different number? Then, boy, listen, send in $30 and you'll have 30 days of promise. Don't let it be 70. Because then you could walk into the bank because 70 is a jubilee number. And you could tell that bank man, I don't owe you any money. Why? Because that's the time of freedom. They teach that. Jubilee was a fad. Now the anointing is a fad. Now they're claiming everything in the name of Christ as a fad. It just goes on and on and on and on. Like the wind blowing a cloud that has nothing to offer. Notice he goes on. They are autumn leaves. Now this one, we might not be that familiar with in the Bahamas, but you know what it is. 
They are autumn leaves without fruit and uprooted. Here's the phrase, twice dead. No fruit, promise a lot but delivers nothing. I think my pulpit is coming apart. Rather than being born twice, in other words, born again, they're twice dead. They don't bear fruit that lasts, and so they are useless or dead with regard to the fruit. But they also uprooted. In other words, there's no real spiritual life there. See, that's why they can't bear spiritual fruit. Fruit that lasts because they have no roots. Their roots are their own. It may look as though they have a thriving church or ministry, but it's all the result of human organization and human effort, just like any other successful human organization that can run without God. But it will not last spiritually. It will not stand the test of time. It will not stand the test of God's judgment. Now look at verse 13. He goes back to the sea. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame. Go out sometime to the caves. Go over the Paradise Island when it's rough. And see how the waves churn up the bottom of the ocean. And all of the filth comes up. All of the dirt comes up. All of the stuff starts to come up. That's what he's talking about here. Wild waves of the sea foaming up their shame. Foaming up their... Notice what God says in Isaiah 57, quote, The wicked are like a tossing sea, which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. That's false teachers. That's in their shame. They bring up all of this stuff, mire and mud. So Jude is saying that false teachers and apostates are wicked people whose behavior is their shame because of its wickedness, deceitfulness, dishonesty, and immorality. The mire and mud that characterize their private life will soon be seen. That's why so many of them are being seen right now, coming out through media. That's why the church has such a uh, ill-reputed reputation because of the muck and mire of those who've departed from the word of God and are living just opposite of what they preach. He goes on though, they are wandering stars. Now sailors when they go out, fellas when they go out fishing, you know, they look for the stars too, you know. Before, in fact, we had all these fancy uh, things. That's what we used to look for. That's what gives us direction. Why? Because most of the time, the stars are fixed. The northern star, that's always there in the north. True north is fixed by the northern star. Isn't that right? Can't be moved. But notice what Jude says about these stars. They are wandering stars. Wandering stars. They don't stay in one place. You can't tell. Do you know that NASA now could plan 
when to take a spaceship of years in advance by looking at the stars and the rotation of the planets. You know that, don't you? In fact, that's how they know to look for that, what they call it? Window. Because the stars are always fixed, the planets are always fixed. Everything goes according, it never changes. But not these stars. Not these teachers. They are wandering stars, they ain't fixed. So don't fix your direction on them. Because they can say, go this way today. Tomorrow they say, go over here. They're wandering stars. Now notice this. For whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Now, I believe, that I, I know this is divine inspiration. You know, we have today what we call black holes. Black holes suck into it stars small planets that get out of orbit and then they go into and they just disappear. Can't see them. You can't even see a black hole. This is God's warning for judgment. All of a sudden, God's judgment is going to suck these wandering stars. And they're going to face a holy God and the one who gave us the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. These teachers are not fixed in their position as true stars are. They will not be around long. They're shooting stars and they're doomed because they're consigned to the judgment of God. It is the presence, my friends, and detection of such people in the church that motivated Jude to write this epistle through the moving of the Spirit of God upon his heart. It was a serious matter back then. It is an even more serious matter now. Notice what Jude says. Look at it. Many false prophets have gone into the world. Jesus gave a command. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. You know something? The devil heard it too. And it seems that he has more people now in the world than Jesus has. Those who are holding true to the word of God. They're all over. Wherever you go. They've gotten into our local churches. They're in the media. Jude is there arming us through this epistle to enable us to detect and protect ourselves from such godless men and women. Are you heeding that message? Or do you just take everything that you see when it comes to these preachers as hmm, just another event? I want to close today's, this evening's message with the word of the Apostle Paul to the Ephesians elders, to the Ephesian elders, because it always comes back home when we talk about these things. It always comes back home. I hope that this might be a goad to motivate us, especially as leaders of God's people, to be positive in our response to contending for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Listen to the word of God as we close. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves. Notice he begins with yourself. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock 
of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. That's why the Holy Spirit motivated Jude to write this epistle, because he wants to be sure that we know how to watch over those whom he has put under our care. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds, feeders of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Because I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from among your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So, be on your God. Thus saith the word of God. Please pray with me. Father, again, we receive your word tonight. I pray now that we might draw upon the resources of the triune God to enable us to be on our guard and to know how to contend for the faith that was once for all given to the saints. Lord, give us a new sense and appreciation of your word and the responsibility and obligation we have of holding it high and defending it for the glory of God and the good of his people. And all of God's people said, Amen.